hello, 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 and welcome. This is the Real Football Podcast. I'm your host, Lenny, a.k.a. Doogie, and let's get into it. Today, I'm going to be talking about the top six in the Premier League. There's a lot of interesting narratives going on right now. A lot of big teams are dropping points, looking at you, the top two. And the weekend began with Chelsea. Chelsea up against Fulham. Chelsea with the most stacked, ridiculous fucking team that you've seen in a long, long time. They look like that 4 Abramovich, Jose Mourinho just arrived, fresh off of winning the Champions League. Obviously, Graham Potter is not Jose Mourinho. He is not the so-called special one. Although, we'll see what he does. We'll see what he can do with this team. But Chelsea starting Enzo Fernandez. He took the number five jersey. He looks very, very comfortable in that team. I know they drew 0-0. Fulham get four points off of Chelsea this season. Great for them. Absolutely great for them. They played them off the park in the first game. I know João Felix did get that red card. But Fulham were the better team for the majority of the game. This time around at the bridge, Chelsea naturally dictated the pace of play. And Enzo Fernandez looked pretty good. He looked uh, quite self-assured in there. He's demanding the ball every time he, he can, playing as a defensive midfielder. I don't know if Graham Potter sees him as a pure number six in that he's going to be the guy who sits in maybe in a double pivot. We'll see what, what Graham Potter... Uh, what formation he he builds this team off of because there's a, a plethora of talent every everywhere you look. I did speak about how they have a hundred million uh, senior footballers right now. He's going to have a tough time on his hands trying to trim that squad down to about twenty five ish. So they're going to need to get rid of at least twelve players. But there's a lot of young talented players. I saw first bits of Madueki. Um, first bits of obviously Enzo Fernandez seeing how he adds what he can add to the team. He can spray the ball quite a bit. His passing looks self-assured. He looked he took up very good positions, not only defense, not only offensively, but defensively as well. He looks like he, he he's he's obviously the star attraction right now. He's the crown and the jewel, the most expensive British transfer ever at this point. So he is going to be how he's going to be the one that Graham Potter builds this team around. Um, so there's going to be a, a a ton of question marks with regards to who stays and who goes, who they're going to really build off of. I'm sure guys like Hakim Ziyech is going to be gone. Obama is probably going. Kulibali, who's completely flopped, he'll probably go. Um, Thiago Silva, you need to keep him. He he has to stay. He He's going to be one of those guys, a shining light. He played this role in Chelsea's Champions League win two seasons ago where he was almost the experienced old head there playing next to a lot of younger players, guys like Mason Mount, guys like, um, guys like, uh, the, the Havertz and, and Timo Werner at the time. So I'm sure Graham Potter would love to keep him. Thiago Silva, I know he's in, in talks for a contract, uh, extension, but Chelsea, every all the optimism surrounding Chelsea, I don't know if there is much optimism. Uh, I know Chelsea fans, I'm sure, elated at the ridiculous transfer window that they just had. Um, 
and uh, there's a, a healthy amount of reason to be optimistic about their prospects going forward. I do think there's enough in that squad. Mudrik started. He didn't look great, but there's something there. Obviously, he's young. Uh, we did see a little bit of uh, Fofana, not not Wesley Fofana, who came from Leicester, but Fofana from, I believe he's from Ivory Coast. He had a good opportunity to open the scoring. Um, him and in Kai Havertz specifically. Uh, Kai Havertz, we've seen it for about two, three years now. He's not a number nine. He is not a pure nine. He's not going to be the guy at the top of the pitch finishing chances. He had one really, really good opportunity that he fluffed his line. He didn't fluff his lines, but he hit the post. And we've seen enough of that from him where we just know that he he's not going to be the guy. Whether he stays or not, that's going to be interesting because if Graham Potter sees this team as playing in a 4-2-3-1, which is what he played on, on Friday up against Fulham, then there is an argument to be made that if they can get a pure nine, which is probably the last position that they really need and maybe a goalkeeper as well. I don't, I, ever since Kepa told uh, Maurizio Sarri where he can go uh, with his substitution in that League Cup final a couple of years ago, I, I just don't rate him. But if, so we'll see what, what, what Graham Potter sees in the goalkeeping department. Edward Mendy's also there as well. He's obviously fallen off a cliff, which is why Kepa's even still in the conversation right now. But aside from a number nine, if they can get a number nine, you could see Kai Havertz playing as a second striker, playing off a nine. And they have a, a, a plethora of talent, uh, especially when it comes to the wingers. So there's there's a lot to be optimistic with Chelsea, uh, if you're a Chelsea supporter right now. Where, But that's more so in the future. In terms of right now, they're going to be a mess. They're going to be disjointed. Uh, players are going to come in, maybe play well for two games and then be out of the squad. Graham Potter needs to look at a lot of different players. There's going to be a lot of rotation. The only opportunity that they have for any kind of silverware this season is the Champions League. They do play Dortmund. That's not going to be an easy task, but it's not un unbelievable that they could go through past them and then anything can happen. This Champions League... The 16 teams involved, no one looks amazing except for Napoli right now. So it's going to be quite interesting what happens in that competition. But in terms of the rest of the season, I think it's pretty much a write-off for Chelsea. They could, they very well could go on a run and get into top four. I do think that race is kind of wide open um, because I don't believe in Newcastle. I still don't believe in them. Uh, they did drop points. I think that'll be the first of many. They've been drawing, not scoring enough goals. Top four is a possibility, but you would think that Spurs would take up that Newcastle spot as opposed to Chelsea right now. But I think most Chelsea fans will probably see the season as a write-off, kind of like similar to that 15-16 season that they had where they finished 10th and completely down tools uh, under Jose Mourinho. So... The, they, they're probably just going to be analyzing the squad right now through the rest of the season, seeing who they want to keep, seeing who they want to let go. 
and over to some teams who do have some jeopardy happening in the league right now. Arsenal lost their first game since losing away at Old Trafford up against Everton. Sean Dyche. This motherfucker. Sean Dyche, the guy who, who gargles, rocks every single morning to have the voice of an old piece of leather, that Clint Eastwood type. He, he's, he's hard as nails. He comes in, he gets that Everton team organized, banks of four, and boom, we are not going to be easy to beat. They win the game off of a Tarkovsky goal from a corner. Arteta would probably be quite pissed no, uh, you, you need to understand that okay sweet uh, Arsenal do they won't be as physically imposing as a Sean Dyche team but uh, any well organized team you, you can't be conceding goals from corners now this would be a very very big problem for Arsenal right now because Sean Dyche came in and showed the rest of the league, specifically the lower half teams, how you can beat this Arsenal team. You sit in and you defend for your fucking life and then you pray for a goal on the counter and so on and so forth. It's been the same recipe that teams have been using to varying degrees to varying degrees of success, but it's the most successful plan, tactical plan that teams could possibly have up against these dominant uh possession based passing slick sleek moving teams if you come out and play them and you don't have a a team as good if you don't have as as comparable players to these teams these arsenals we've seen it a lot with man city before in the past liverpool as well before in the past we see it in other leagues as well specifically la liga up against big Real Madrid and Barcelona teams, teams just sit in and they say, hey, listen, we understand that we are not better than you. We're going to sit in and fucking defend for our lives. That is uh, is the blueprint, essentially, for any small teams hoping to get any results up against um, these 100 points, potentially 100-point teams. Now, where does that leave Arsenal right now? Arsenal are very lucky in that the other results at the top of the table went their way uh, just a couple hours ago. So they, they're they in the exact same position that they were coming into the weekend, which is a fantastic place to be because that's one match day gone. Sure, you did lose the game. You didn't score. You got stifled. You, you And you couldn't break through a resolute defense. It happens to everyone. I mean, Liverpool... In our 99-point season, the season that we won the title, we went to Watford and we got smacked 3-0 right before the pandemic break took place. It didn't change anything at the end of the season for us, but these types of results do happen. Sometimes you're up against a, a team in 19th and 20th in 18th where they get that new manager in, new manager bounce, and there's no manager that you really want to be facing uh quite like sean dyche the, the motherfucker he, he's been doing it for years he did it for a long long time with burnley i think burnley completely lost the plot when they let him go with eight games to go i think he keeps them up i think burnley are probably still in the league right now if they didn't sack sean dyche but at some point 
that they had to part ways. Sean Dyche is probably going to get Everton out of this mess that they are in right now. He's going to stifle a lot of other teams. You need to you need to look at the bigger picture. So Arsenal, their second loss of the season, their sheen of not invincibility, but their sheen of overall utter dominance of the league this season is wearing a little bit. But if I'm Arteta, I'm going to be like, listen, lads, we let that one go. The game's gone. It's over. Let's just move on to the next. And they have Man City coming up very, very soon. So they need to lift themselves up. I don't think they'll have much of an issue with that. Um, however, to the other side of the title, title conversation and two teams where this result is probably super expected. Um, City dropped the ball they 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 missed an opportunity to gain on arsenal they were five points behind with a game in hand they're still five points behind with a game in hand uh sorry with arsenal having a game in hand they could have went they could have beaten spurs but let's be realistic here spurs they just have their number spurs have man city's number Every single time they go to this Hotspur Stadium, the Tottenham Stadium, I don't know what the actual name of it is, but every single time they go there, they lose. And they don't just lose, they have never scored a league goal there, ever. Five games, five losses, they've conceded seven goals, and they've scored zero. So it's pretty wild to me that... Not only have they consistently beaten them, Spurs uh, haven't been in any league position since Pep Guardiola has come into the league to beat them, apart from that first season where City were a bit of a mess. Apart from that first season, City has been miles ahead of Spurs. Like, the Spurs haven't been in the conversation at all. But they consistently, consistently, consistently get results. I mean, in this in this game... I'll admit, Jack Grealish did play really well, um, especially his defensive work, which which surprised me a little bit. But we've we've seen him. I think he had that one tackle, great great tackle uh, up against. It could have actually been Spurs a few weeks ago when they played in that game in that four two game. But Jack Grealish, he does look probably the best attacker consistently in terms of his overall game right now one thing about him though i get that he gets fouled all the time and he draws something like double digit fouls almost every single game he drew a foul to get romero sent off to get his second red uh, yellow card which uh, romero uh, he should never have gotten that yellow card uh in the first half at all that there is a boneheaded decision he is prone to that from time to time but does jack grealish's propensity to draw fouls actually benefit the team because if if you're playing up against a resolute defense the last thing they want is for the team that they're defending against to get any sort of momentum, any sort of rhythm, any sort of uh, essentially momentum. You you don't want them. You, you want to break up the flow of the game. And every single time Jack Grealish goes to ground and he gets the foul, sure, he gets kicked every single game. It's ridiculous. He kind of gets kicked like Neymar does. But 
it doesn't help the team. I, I can't see any real benefits unless you are truly, unless your, your set piece taking is magnificent or you have a, a ridiculous aerial presence, which Man City do not have. And De Bruyne, I, I know he started on the bench. His, his delivery is phenomenal, but City don't necessarily score a tremendous amount of goals from free kicks or from indirect free kicks. You don't see that as much. So I question that. I question whether or not City are benefiting from that area of Jack Grealish's play. I know he does. He he and Mares provide the width. They have their fullbacks tuck in and play almost as, as CDMs, and then they have a back three. Is that helping City as well? Because their build-up play was slow. It was it was labored. It seemed like the team was just fucking just tired. Like there's no there was there was a lack of tempo, a lack of um urgency in their play. Too many touches on the ball. This is one of those things that, as much as 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 amazing as great dribblers are, a great dribbler, say Wilfred Zaha, Wilfred Zaha. And I see this with him almost every single time I watch Crystal Palace. Uh, just taking him as an example. Wilfred Zaha, every single time he touches the ball, he will get past a player. He, he might beat a man, beat two men, and then he'll try beat the third and then the fourth instead of playing the pass, instead of playing the pass. I, I find myself almost every single time I watch him or any player who's really a dribbling, a dribbling specialist, play the pass pass the fucking ball pass the fucking ball because eventually you're going to dribble 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 and then get yourself into a blind alley and there's nothing you can do except maybe win a throw in maybe win a corner and corners we don't score that much from corners uh, in football in general it just doesn't work that way so that's kind of the feeling i get a little bit when when i see players take way too many touches it's irritates me pretty much like it's uh, like oh geez come on please pass the fucking ball because when you're passing pass and move the game becomes a lot easier the most beautiful goals that we usually see those team goals that you can replicate there's a pattern to it we see it with with man City's at their absolute best getting 95 plus points Per season, they had a pattern of play that would create goals almost all the time. I mean, we've seen it 110 million times where a player will get to the byline, cut it back, and someone's there for the tap. And we, we've seen that goal at least 50 times in the past four or five years. That you have to be able to pass and move. It, it, it can't be where you are dribbling and taking infinite like if you're taking three four five touches in the middle third you're playing a, up against a packed defense that that's sitting deep that's resolute you're not going to move them you're not going to get players out of out of position and that's where city were today um i've seen liverpool play like that even going back to last season and that's when things got really it felt like things were tough where where the intensity was out of the build-up play and any defense that can sit in and they, they, they'll just watch you pass and they'll just shift nice and slowly because you're moving the ball nice and slowly and everyone takes five touches and 
it's a bit of a miss. So that's where that that's something that Pep needs to sort out. Now, outside of this game, if if if, if you heard that Spurs lost this game one 0 to Spurs, uh, pardon. If you heard City lost this game one 0 at Spurs, of course they lost that game. They've lost what five times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> at Spurs. So that's not that's not a indicative of anything any overall uh narrative happening with City at the moment, but what's really what the real real problem is for them is that it feels like Pep is maybe he can't motivate them the way that he could in previous seasons. Maybe, uh, we've we've seen the whole Jao Cancelo fallout. That that's a big big thing because that's not something that happens under Pep very often. We've seen it with Zlatan Ibrahimovic years back, over a decade ago at at Barca. We saw the same with Samuel Eto'o. He got rid of him because the those egotistical players. He Pep doesn't really vibe with them, and. We've seen that we're seeing elements. I mean, where's Phil Foden? Apparently, he was sick, but he hasn't been playing much recently. Uh, and he was a key player last season for them. Where is Laporte? Where is Ruben Diaz? Uh, these guys who were mainstays last season can barely get a game right now. Uh, admittedly, Akanji's been very, very good as a, as a center back for City. However, is he better than Ruben Diaz was the past two seasons? Question. Uh, answer being no, I don't think so. And it, it's it looks like City are really going through the same situation that Liverpool are right now, where the the team looks a little bit dejected. They don't have the same. It, it, that complacency is starting to set in. And even though they brought in Haaland, they brought in Alvarez, and they brought in Calvin Phillips, who, where the fuck is he as well? Um, admittedly, Rodri's fantastic, so I, I get why he's not getting much game time at all. But there's question marks happening there. there there's there's little bits and pieces where you're like, okay, things aren't going great. We, Pep came out uh, with the with the whole shitting on on everyone surrounding the club, fans, players, higher up himself. Once once Pep comes out and does that, you know things aren't going too well. He he can't motivate them the way he did. Uh, guys like Bernardo Silva, who's who's been magnificent since eighteen nineteen, he, he was amazing player. A any Liverpool fan would hate the sight of him because he was. All over the pitch, every single time we played him, he's not at the same level. Same with De Bruyne, same with Mares. He gets up there from time to time, but even still. So a lot of these stalwarts who have been in that team for, for years and years and who have won almost everything, they they just can't bring themselves up to that level again. And so... I believe the the pep the the city transition is ongoing and if they can if but make no mistakes they're still in the title race they they're still there and thereabouts however what's very interesting considering that united won their game they and if they beat Leeds in the middle of the week, they'll go a level on points with city and I did say that I don't think united are in the title race 
here's why. I still don't think that, but here's why. City can directly affect Arsenal. City play them twice still. Arsenal have already played United twice. So United can't do anything to to stop Arsenal. They can't. There's no six pointers anymore. United beat them once they lost one. So that's that's the end of the story. Whereas City can still impact Arsenal season directly and get within about two points of them. And then if, if Arsenal have a, another wobble, City can capitalize. But can City go on one of those... 12 wins in a row runs it doesn't look like it right now it doesn't look like it but that remains to be seen um not every other team is going to be playing as well as spurs did today in terms of defending quick shout out to harry kane though he was he was decent today he got the goal but it's a very very significant goal because he is now the all-time leading goal scorer for tottenham hotspur Absolute Spurs legend. Absolute Spurs legend. He's scored his 200th Premier League goal today. He is only the third player in the history of the Premier League to score 200 goals. So obviously football started in 1992. First being Alan Shearer, second being Wayne Rooney. Harry Kane is going to surpass Wayne Rooney mm, probably this season or maybe not this season, but in the next couple of months. Because Rooney's on 208, Harry Kane is on 200 now. Absolute legend. Question, is Harry Kane the best footballer to ever play the game and not win a major trophy? I don't think there's even a doubt about that. I mean, he, he has to be at this point. I, I remember this question was raised on the internet at some point a couple of years ago and it, it's interesting, but I think it's 100% guaranteed right now. Harry Kane, the greatest player to ever play the game, to not win a major trophy. And if Antonio Conte goes at the end of the season, which it looks like he will, it doesn't look like he's going to be signing a contract extension, does Harry Kane stay? Because uh, to me, Conte was their best chance to win trophies, their, their absolute best chance. Are they going to win the Champions League this season? Come on. Let, let's be realistic here. Uh, definitely not. Conte sucks in Europe. It's There's, there's some rules in, in life that just happen. Spurs beat City every year at, at Spurs. And Antonio Conte sucks in Europe. Like These are just... It just is. Jurgen Klopp he loses to Madrid teams. It just is. Speaking of Jurgen Klopp, my word... Oh, week in, week out, ever since the World Cup has come back, I have yet to sit down, record a session, record an episode, and say anything really, really positive about Liverpool because they are just an absolute mess here. Jurgen Klopp looks super dejected, even on the sideline, just, just watching uh, a disaster, a farce happening um, on the pitch every single week, week in, week out. We have clear weeks. We have seven days between games right now. The team shouldn't be this much of a mess every time we... Oh, my goodness. Listen, Wolves didn't even play that well. We gifted them two goals in the first 12 minutes. First things first, Joel Matip, listen, it's two minutes into the game. Two minutes into the game. Joel Matip, what the fuck are you doing hesitating, going to go 
going to go press a player, a, an attacker, Huang Li, who is in behind your defense. It's the first two fucking minutes of the game. He hesitates. Now he's trying to catch up. Huang plays the ball in. It comes off of Matip. Own goal. It's a fucking... It's a joke. It's... Oh my goodness, Joel Matip. What, what's going on with you? Not 10 minutes later. Not 10 minutes later. Joe Gomez cannot clear the header well enough no one really no one really gets uh, presses the player who's in possession there who sends in the cross Joe Gomez barely clears it and then boom 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 ping pong in the box and bam Dawson scores we're down 2-0 it's basically game over after 12 minutes and the fucked up thing though is that we didn't play super terribly we went as bad as the Brighton game. In the Brighton game, we were the worst team from the opening kickoff to the, from the first whistle to the last. We were the worst team on the pitch by far. But this game, we at least created a few chances. We, we did something. There was something. But the, the finishing oh, was, was very woeful, very sloppy. Mohamed Salah, I don't know where you are, my guy. It's been a, it's been a year now. A year where he hasn't really looked the same player. He was playing at an at a Ballon d'Or level before before he went to Afcon for twenty twenty two, and then oh man, just he he hasn't been the same. I know Sadio Mane basically carried us in terms of goals the second half of last season after he won the Afcon. Salah he he wasn't the same. He's He's gotten numbers though this season. He he still has seventeen goals in all competitions. Stat padding up against uh, Rangers in the Champions League, but in the league he's been really really poor. I mean, to and he's not the only one within our within our, our forward line. Darwin Nunes hasn't scored since before the World Cup. He had a great opportunity. Trent puts him through one on one. He he. He gets it on target, but the keeper makes a save. In that situation, you're 2-0 down. To really get the team going, you need someone to be like, okay, sweet, I'm going to put this team on my back. Let me score this goal. I have a golden opportunity. He doesn't take it. Salah, wasteful in front of goal. Cody Gakpo, I don't think he had any real good opportunities. He's trying to... I'll give him an excuse because he's fresh into a very very poorly performing team so i'm not going to be too critical of him but he he didn't get himself into any positions to really take advantage to really uh score at all um but darwin nunez and sara they did they should have scored uh, at least one of them getting get those shots on target at least sala nabi Keita got himself in a lot of good positions but you could just tell, not 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 one of those shots was going to be on target at all, um, and it's just it, it's a reoccurring theme, reoccurring, reoccurring, just problems, individual mistakes, sloppiness in front of goal. Just it seems like everyone's mind is just gone. I don't know where their minds are. It's like they, 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 they. Jeez, uh, that that monsters. Uh, that Space Jam analogy when the Monstars took all the all the 
all the playing ability from those players. It feels like that with quite a few players, Fabinho especially. Um, we were... Joel Matip as well, he was all over the show. It wasn't just the that opening goal. He, he was... He got turned at some point and luckily I think Allison say made a save or something something to that effect. But he's all over the show. Uh these guys look lost without Virgil van Dyke. They look lost with him even in the team. But w- w- we need Konate back. Konate uh looked our most solid center back this season so far, consistently. Virgil van Dyke, I don't know if he's lost a step. I don't know if he was mentally not there he was focused on the world cup things didn't go so well well they made the quarterfinals so it it was a decent world cup but there's something there's something going on uh quite similar to city actually um i think it's just exacerbated with with liverpool because we do have more injuries than city uh in terms of our forwards as well as our center backs at this point we're missing our our first first choice center backs i think our first choice pairing has got to be van dyke and konate based upon what joe gomez and matt about doing for the third goal joe gomez is uh, he's out of position he was sloppy ruben Neves takes advantage and if you're watching if you're watching the replay you see where tiago is tiago's jogging back he looks over his shoulder he sees ruben Neves is in too late it's too late Ruben Nevis is in boom easy three goal win three no win for Wolves a relegation candidate that leaves us Liverpool in 10th just on absolute waste I did say and I've been maintaining that if we are around eight points out from top four we can do something with 10 games to go at this point I just uh, it's tough to see where we're going to improve because the entire team is a mess. Uh, everywhere you look, there's problems. Every every department, each side of the pitch. I mean, on the left, Robertson, he, he's not as good in terms of going forward or defensively because the midfield's all over the show. Cody Gakpo's still trying to acclimatize to a really poor team, so... He's not getting much help in terms of rhythm, consistency from his teammates. Darwin Nunes, I can't blame him because he's also a young player coming into the team. Same story as Cody Gakpo, but he needs to score. He needs to get his finishing. He needs to get his finishing boots on or something. But and then you look at Mohamed Salah, I touched on him. The midfield, I, I slate them every single game. Bashetic is a little bit of a bright spot, playing very well. But if it's him, Harvey Elliott in certain games, uh, Darwin Nunes providing a spark up front, if those are the guys who are doing well, I mean, Konate looked our best center back. Those are the youngest guys in those departments. We need to look at the Salas. We need to look at the Jordan Hendersons, who's our captain who's not even starting. He's not good enough to start right now. Nabi Keita, I mean, well, not Nabi Keita. Keita's, he's been, uh, geez, uh, I've spoken enough about him. Um, Guys like Fabinho, guys like, guys like Matip, guys like, Robertson, those are the guys who you need to be your best performers because 
if you're relying on 18-year-old Bashetic, you're relying on 19-year-old Harvey Elliott, you're relying relying on 22-year-old Darwin Nunes, we're not we're, we're not going anywhere. Um, and unfortunately, this is that season where we're just gonna have to take our ass whoopings week in week out because I, I don't see a good performance coming out of this team anytime soon. We're going up against Sean Dyche. Oh, with a new manager bounce. They just beat the league leaders in Arsenal. Liverpool were, uh, were in for a world of pain up against that um, Everton team that's next week, Monday. Oh, jeez. Um, and our only opportunity for any kind of silverware, any kind of making the Champions League for next season is to win the Champions League. And we have to beat Real Madrid. Ain't no fucking ways. Ain't no fucking ways. So this season is basically going to be a write-off. Um, and then we get rid of about five, six players in the summer, bring in four or five players, a couple midfielders, probably a couple centre-backs, at least one centre-back, and then we try again for next season. But yeah, um, it's a bit of a mess. Not a bit of a mess. It's a massive fucking mess right now. Ah. <sighs> <laughs> seems like week in week out every time i make these episodes and i speak on 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 england i have to speak about my beloved who is disappointing me week in week out uh kudos to wolves though you guys fully deserve that win and yeah uh that pretty much wraps up the episode today the show top six uh a lot of drop points this week this weekend uh a lot of drop points united are cruising still they're doing well. They 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 weathered uh, uh, being ten men down, a uh, one man down, for a little while. Um, yeah, so they're doing quite well. They could pull level with City and potentially even go second uh, by by this time next week. So, oh man, it's it's quite gloomy for every Liverpool supporter out there. But that's my little spiel for the week. Um, Lots of drop points. Uh, I appreciate you for listening to this. I hope you have a magnificent day. Anytime this podcast reaches, reaches your ears. And take care.